0: hey friends welcome to the skyline church podcast i'm jonathan middlebrooks one of the pastors here at skyline church Skyline is a worshiping community, a disciple-making community, and a generational community. We're committed to seeing revival in our city sparked through the presence of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. These sermons are specific to that purpose and in the context of our unique community. We hope that it might bless you in some way. Enjoy. My name is Greg Dewey, and I get to be a part of the teaching team here, and we're continuing a series on uh, the spiritual gifts, and I'm going to review what we've read a few times out of Romans chapter 12. There's a couple different places where the spiritual gifts are listed. Romans 12 is one of those. That follows immediately after Romans 12.1. You hear us talk about this one a lot. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The way we say that is if you want to change the way you live… You have to change the way you think, right? You want to change the way you live, you have to change the way you think. And if we believe what we just sang, that His way is better, His way is better, then we can enter into this prayer, and we'll just do it with our eyes open. Lord, would you break down the the walls of religion? Would you shake up the ground? Uh, of our tradition. Those two things, as it relates to leadership, Lord, would you just give us some new soil that we could receive your word in Jesus' name. So, Romans chapter 12, verse 20, or verse 3. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, But rather, think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of you has one body with many members, these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. I would love to riff on that for just a little bit, but I'll let your mind wander. That's a beautiful picture of the church. Goes on to say, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is to prophesy, then prophesy in accordance with your faith if it is serving then serve if it is teaching then teach if it is to encourage then give encouragement if it is giving then give generously if it is to lead do it diligently and if it is to show mercy do it cheerfully the spiritual gift of leadership if you just look at the slide the gift of leadership is sandwiched here between two gifts right between the gift of giving and the gift of mercy. And I think it would be wise for us to assume that it's placed there on purpose because this has to connect. This leadership gift has to connect with caring for other people. So it's a people-oriented gift. This is not a task-oriented gift like administration might be, right? So the Greek word uh, to lead here is proistemi, Proistami, and it has two different meanings. The first one is to rule, to govern, to give aid, or to direct. That kind of fits our, our, our general theory on leadership, right? But the second part is just as important, and that is to care for and to be concerned about. So the spiritual gift of leadership requires these two being married together, that you direct and you lead, but you do so in a very caring and concerned way. And Peter taught this to his leaders, right? Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain. Let's pause there for a second. I'll jump back into that as I was driving down here this morning, I was reminded of Ezekiel chapter four, where the shepherds get a very strong rebuke the shepherds, the leaders of Israel, got a very strong rebuke from Ezekiel chapter 34. Verse 1 says this, Then the, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. This is not a good thing for the leaders. Thus says the Lord, woe to shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves, should not the shepherds feed the flock. You eat the fat and clothe yourselves in the wool. You slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. Those who are sickly, you have not strengthened. The diseased, you have not healed. The broken, you have not bound up. The scattered, you have not brought back. Nor have you sought for the lost. But with force and with severity, you have dominated them. You see where Peter's getting this. He would have had this memorized. And he goes on to say, but but lead eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being an example to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Leaders, this is for you. The unfading crown of glory. So I just ask you, think, who is your flock? We'll get to that, but who who is your flock? Is there anybody following you? And if there's somebody, at least one following you, then you, by definition, are a leader. You might be a leader, and we know all kinds of uh, people. We know all kinds of people who are leaders that actually don't have this gift of leadership, spiritual gift of leadership because they don't really care about the people that they lead. Yet you and I know all kinds of people who have no title, they have no rank, rank, they have no authority, but they steward this spiritual gift of leadership so well. Jesus this is who we get. So, P- Peter had just got done talking about how to be a good shepherd, how to be a good leader. And he got that by his time with Jesus, right? And Jesus, I think there's very little doubt, lots of consensus on the fact that He's the greatest leader, whether, whether you're Christian or not, that He's the greatest leader to ever live. I don't know of anybody else who has divided history based on their birthday. Right? This is a tremendous leader. And so, I think the question for us today is, how can we learn from him? I mean, you think about what happened. We had a teacher with a bunch of JV teenage boys who turned the world upside down. And they became embraced by the very empire who tried to eradicate them. I mean, you think about that. This little band of brothers turned over a superpower. So we've got some lessons to learn. We could have gone a lot of different directions with this. There's hundreds of leadership lessons that we can learn from Jesus, but I thought, let's just go to some of the last leadership lessons that he had with the 12. So you can start turning, if you, if you want to, to Mark chapter 10. That's where we're going to spend quite a bit of our time today. I'm going to give you a little context as you turn. So right now, Jesus and his motley few, they're, they're heading towards Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. And at this point, they're moving around and they're doing so very conspicuously because Jesus had been tipped off, probably by Nicodemus. We don't know that for sure. He had been tipped off by the fact that the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees were plotting to kill him. So, what had just happened, and what caused probably, probably was the most disruptive miracle of all of Jesus' miracles, is He had just raised Lazarus from the dead. An unbelievable miracle, because Lazarus wasn't just dead, he was dead-dead. I mean, he had been embalmed, he had been entombed, and the stink was obviously there if you read the Scriptures. This is a dead-dead guy. And and even if there is no media, no social media, no way to get the word out, if something like that happens, a dead, dead guy comes back to life, word gets out pretty quick. And the text in John 11 tells us that some of those that were there and witnessed it went to the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin. And John chapter 11 verse 53 says this, from that day on they plotted to take Jesus' life. And then we see in, in the very next chapter, it says, Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there. Where is there? Bethany. And came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. J- Lazarus had become a tourist attraction. And, and people from all over the place just wanted to have this Lazarus sighting because they, they knew what had happened. There's no way to fake him swooning or anything, right? So he becomes this a tourist attraction. Now they, they, they want to kill him. Now, I just want to pause for a second. This has no, really nothing to do with where I'm going. But if you've ever walked away from the faith or consider walking away from the faith or never came to the faith because you felt like you had to check your brain at the door, or at the college classroom. If that's ever rattled you, what I want to say is I'm sorry because our, our belief system is not built on faith alone. Our belief system is built on a story of real events that actually took place like the raising of Lazarus. So our faith is an evidence-based faith. It's not just some blind faith. Let's get back to our story. Mark chapter 10, let's start at verse 32. says, they were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. Now, a lot of times when people talk about Jesus being the good shepherd, I've heard pastors talk about this in two different ways, right? They said that Jesus would be in the front and he would lead them and they would follow so closely behind him that they would be covered in the dust from his flip-flops, Right? And so, I think there's something to that. You also hear, they'll say, no, 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 no. The, 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 the shepherds in Israel, they would lead from behind and just kind of keep people within the boundaries. And I think that's also a beautiful picture. So, I think what we're seeing there is that a good leader does both from time to time. Sometimes they'll lead from the front. Sometimes they'll, they'll lead from behind. This is not scripture. It's Nelson Mandela. But I think Nelson Mandela got this very well. It says this, it is better to lead from behind and put others in the front, especially when you celebrate victory and when nice things occur. But you take the front of the line, leaders, when there is danger. Good lesson for us. Jesus heading into Jerusalem where he knows they're plotting to kill him. Jesus is leading the way. Goes on. And the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. Why were they afraid? Uh, The rich young ruler had just interrupted them, their movement towards Jerusalem. He's like, hey, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? He's like, go sell everything that you have. Give it to the poor and, and follow me. Because whoever is first will be last, and whoever's last will be first, and that must have sparked some fear. And then we see this Again. Again, which just simply means this wasn't the first time that Jesus would have had this talk with the 12. It says he took the 12 aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We are going to go to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priest and to the teachers of the law, and they will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. And three days later, he will rise. Can you imagine now being one of the disciples? You're following this guy, And you have just watched him do the miracle of all miracles, raise the guy who'd been dead for days. And word had gotten out and now all these other people, you look behind you, it was 12 of us. And now it's tons of us that are, that are following and you hear about this great crowd that's waiting for you in Jerusalem. And you're like, what could he be talking about? We've got all the momentum here. Everything that we had hoped for in a Messiah must be just right around the corner. What, what, what is this all about? I don't know about this mocking, spitting, and killing thing. I don't, I don't know. And then what I want you to notice is this next verse. This next verse says this. Then, <laughs> right then, right after he has the talk of what the, the pain that he's going to go through, right then, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, call him teacher. He's over over to the side. Psst. Let the ten walk ahead a little bit. Hey, we want you to do whatever we ask. Well, that took some hoops, all huh, right? <laughs> I mean, really? Okay. Uh, and this, by the way, is just after he, he says what's going to happen to him. says, What do you want me to do? They replied, Let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. I mean, think about the audacity of that. Jesus just says, I'm going to be beaten with a cord of nine tails, 39 times. And then they're gonna drive nails in my hands and feet. Hey, by the way, could, could you do something for me? I, I, I know you're going to go through a lot of all that pain stuff, but listen, this is really important to me. Oh, the audacity until we think about our prayers. Yeah, Jesus, I know you're good and all, and I know you did all that other stuff, but, but, but can you get to me? Could you really help me with this? I need your help this week, right? I'm not saying don't ask for help. I'm just saying we might want to reflect a little bit more on who he is before we get to the request list. Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. They're like, no, 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 we get it, we get it. You're number one, but we've got what it takes to be number two and number three. Could you you appoint us to that when when your kingdom comes? And Jesus knew that just within a few days after he got arrested that they would run. When the 10 heard about what James and John had done, they became indignant. Now, they weren't indignant because they were going, how could you? How could you after master said what he just said? How how could you make this about you? No, they were indignant because they didn't think of it first. And they were like, no, 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 no. I want to set it your right. And I want to set it your left. Jesus calls them again together. So, he has this little talk, right? And he says, this is what's going to happen to me. And they're like, hey, can I set it to the right and the left? They start walking around. I say, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's get back off the road. Let's go over here. Let's sit down. Let's huddle up. I've got some, something really important. This is a lesson that you're going to need to remember for the rest of your life. And so, he has this little coaching talk. And I believe this coaching talk is for everybody in here who is a leader in any way. First of all, if you're just a follower of Jesus, this is for you, right? If you're a leader that you have, you're an older sibling, or or maybe you're an aunt or an uncle, if you're a parent, this is definitely for you. If you have people who report to you at work, this is definitely for you. And if if you're not a Christian, if you're not a Christian, part of the reason maybe you have chosen not to follow is because we have had a really difficult time implementing this across the board as followers of Jesus. He says this, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. You know how the world works, right? When it comes to leadership, Jesus is saying. He's saying the person at the top of the pyramid, they've got all the power, they've got all the resources, and most of the time, they, they use those power and those resources to benefit themselves, regardless of how it might impact those beneath them. You know how that goes? And the disciples are like, Yeah, we know exactly how that goes. The people on the top get more than the people on the bottom, which is why we're asking to sit at the left and the right. We know exactly how this works. And Jesus says this Not so with you. You know how the world works? That's not how we're going to do it. Not so with you. What I'm introducing is something that is completely different. Resources, power, authority, influence, leadership is going to be done completely different in my kingdom. And he's not just calling them out, he's actually calling them up to a different standard, to a different realm of leadership. Power and influence, they're no longer going to be just for those that are at the top. He's flipping leadership upside down. Instead, whoever wants to become great, who who wants to become great? I I know at least two of you do because you pulled me aside to sit at my left and my right. And the, the other 10 of you, yeah, you got mad. Why? Because you wanted to be at my left and right. It's okay to be great, but if you want to be great, listen up, this is what it takes. You must be your servant. You want to be great? You got to be a servant. To us, servant is a concept To these guys, they knew servants, right? Matthew had servants. But he didn't stop there. He took it a step further and he says, and whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. Servants, slave. At least servants get paid, right? He's saying, I want you to take the lowliest of the low position. You're not going to get paid for it. You're going to be taken advantage of from time to time. And oh, by the way, not just a slave to some, a slave to all. What about, yeah, him too. Her too. All. Jesus turned everything upside down. He came to make all things new, including our leadership structures, including our influence models, and certainly our religious systems. Before anyone could object or raise their hand to ask a question, Jesus goes on. He said, for the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Let me ask you, if you're a follower of Jesus, have you memorized this verse? This is one of the big ones. This is one you've got to hang on the mirror. For the sum of man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his one and only life as a ransom for many. If you have any leadership gifts or responsibilities at all, you've got to file this one away. There's no shortcuts. This is the way to it. And it's important for us for a few reasons. First, it's a command from our creator, our forgiver, and our leader, that should be reason enough. Number two, our, our task is to become like Jesus. There's no way to become like Jesus if we don't act like Jesus. And number three, apparently, this is the only way to see real life transformation in here, in here, and out there, is to put this leadership principle into place. It's the best opportunity that we've got to see real life change. Now, they couldn't grasp this idea that he literally was going to give his life as a ransom for many. That he was going to lay down his life. King Jesus was going to take the death nails from humans for humans. He couldn't grasp that. And we would think that in return, he would say, because I've given my life for you, you in turn ought to give your life for me. But that's not what he says, right? He says, I've given my life for you, and in turn, you ought to give your life to each other. That's what love does. 1 John three sixteen. For this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought, and it's it's an accounting term, to balance the scale, we ought to give our lives for each other. Sometimes, talks like this talks like Jesus was having with them along the side of the road they're hard to really grasp so Jesus the king of object lessons he knew that, that, that they really needed to see it and over the next few days he was going to going to model this for them because he knew where there was no vision that people would perish right if somebody can't see it right that's the vision part they can't see it with their eyes the lesson could be forgotten and missed and they would perish as a result of it so within just a few days they're sitting in the upper room celebrating Passover which by the way is a huge object lesson in and of itself and they had followed Jesus just got done going through town and everybody's going Hosanna, Hosanna Messiah, Messiah on Passover there is no way to over exaggerate the big deal that this caused This is Passover, and here is a guy, here's a rabbi that's riding a donkey and welcoming the praise, so he must be accepting the title Messiah. Energy was high. Tension was high. The disciples had to have been, if you picture it, they had to have been feeling the celebrity status that they've got, right? They've got special backstage passes with the star of the show. You, they probably have people pulling them off on the side, doing a, just a quick little interview with them, right? Getting their phones out, taking pictures of them. They, have re, they had reached our status. And I imagine that the disciples had to be wondering, is tomorrow the day? Peter already said that you're Messiah. Is tomorrow the day? That Messiah establishes his kingdom here on earth. And as they're daydreaming uh, and thinking about what this might hold and where I might get to sit, and what am I gonna be in his cabinet? I mean, this is this is this is the day, this is what we've been waiting for. They're shaken from their daydream. Because Jesus stands up, takes off his rabbinic robe, and wraps a towel around his waist. Now I'm for real. Jesus is at superstar status. Can you imagine what the disciples are thinking? Messiah is gonna wash my filthy feet? No way. And we could give these guys a pass, right, on on why they didn't do it first, right? There was a lot going on. They might have been caught up into the moment so much that they didn't think about washing their own feet and certainly didn't think about washing each other's feet. That's best case scenario. Worst case scenario is they just had this right and left hand conversation. They're like, ain't no way. I'm taking the lowly roll. So Jesus does. And Peter's the first one to stand up. He's like, no, 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 no. there is no way, there's no way in Hades, that's probably how he would have said it, there's no way in Hades you're washing these feet. Then eventually, he fell in line. You know how long it would take to wash a dirty foot? A minute or so, right? How long would it take to wash 12 pairs of filthy feet? I don't know if it's true, but I believe it was in that moment that they got it. When all they could hear was the dripping of water while Messiah washed their feet. They knew what those hands were capable of. They'd seen the miracles, right? And here he is on a knee washing their feet. And then Jesus says this, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you, he asked. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done. Very truly, no servant is greater than his master. Peter, you think you're better than me? Uh, No, 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 definitely no, sir. James, Uh uh-uh, no way. And so I ask you, not in a condemning way, but do you think you are? And then Jesus says, now if you do these things, you will be blessed. Oh, excuse me. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Not just if you believe them, if you do them. We said at the beginning, as a reminder, if you want to change the way you live, you have to change the way you... If you want to change the way you live... We'll just go back to the beginning. If you want to change the way you live, you have to change the way you think and when you change the way you think you have to change the way you live christianity is not about a belief system it's about action we've got to put it in to action so do you want to know the secret to becoming a great leader the way you become a great leader is one foot at a time One foot at a time. I think that's what Paul was getting at when he said at the beginning, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Don't take that wrong. It doesn't mean to think more lowly than you ought to either, right? It's that C.S. Lewis quote that says, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less, right? We've got to embody humility. Peter understood this, right? Peter said in uh, chapter five of his first letter that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. That's what he means. If you as a leader are willing to get down on a knee and wash your followers' feet, those that are just a step behind you, if you're willing to do that, that he gives grace to you. It sounds like if you're unwilling to do that, that he's going to oppose you and you're going to be sailing against the wind. And here's the cool thing about the disciples. They might be slow learners, but they got it. They they really got it because after the gospels, we get to the book of Acts, right? And does anybody remember what the first problem in the church was? The first problem in the church What's that Jesus' disciples were so busy taking care of orphans and widows that they didn't have time to do the only job that they could do, which was teach the words that Jesus taught them. Because I guarantee you, they're like, ain't no way we're letting master look down on us and see that we weren't willing to take the lowest of the low position. Uh-uh, we're not going to do that. And I believe that they had to pry their fingers off the serving tray to do the job that only they could do. In fact, it was the early followers, others firstness, that turned the world upside down, wasn't it? Early on, the, the Romans would mock them because the Roman culture was one that celebrated strength and conquest. And so the idea that a person would leverage what they had for the sake of another person was what they would consider subhuman. That someone would use their power to empower others just didn't happen in their day because it wasn't respected or admired. But over time, Christians turned what was appalling into something that was appealing because Christians refused to walk by anybody who was sick. They refused to abandon villages when a plague would sweep through. They would take in every child who needed a home. They were the first to truly recognize the dignity and value of every human life. And in time, this became so contagious that it spread across village lines and national lines. And against all odds, this tiny little cult with a crucified leader who had no territory, no military, and no earthly title or authority was embraced by the empire that tried to destroy it. If you're a Christian, this is your story. This is our story. And if you're a leader, there's no shortcuts I believe every one of us at times will be called upon to exercise the spiritual gift of leadership. And so, if we're going to do that, I think we've got to ask those that are around us and those that are, quote, beneath us that might report up to us what can I do for you? How can I leverage me and all that I have for you? Jesus and the father looks down from heaven and he says this is what I'm going to do for you I'm going to lay down my life for you and all I ask for in return is that you would do the same for other people so as the band comes back up just a question for us as leaders as humans is your pride subdued Don't, don't hear that critical honest question is your pride subdued? Do you think there are some things that are maybe beneath you? Your kids, your nieces, your nephew, those that might report up to you, what might they say about your leadership? The great thing is it's never too late. One of the most powerful things we can do as Christians To get this message to move forward is to just simply say, will you forgive me? I've been a jerk lately. I've been, I've treated you as subhuman and I want you to know that I'm sorry. Is there anything I can do for you? Philippians 2 says, do nothing. How much? Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, consider others, particularly those that might be under your charge, consider others to be greater than yourself. And if you do, you'll look like Jesus. So if you stand, I don't know how this message gets sealed in your heart. Maybe it's through lunch and that's it. Maybe for some you would just like to stand where you're at and pray and just say, God, you know, would you point out some ways in my leadership that's been less than like you? Would you show me who to maybe make some amends with, say some apologies, and and really begin to set a great example for Maybe you want to pray with somebody else. We always have a great prayer team that's around. You might want to pray about something that has nothing to do with leadership. But you also might want to say, you know what? I want to confess. I haven't always been the great leader, but I want to be. Would you pray for me? Right? Prayer is a powerful time. So let's just ask Holy Spirit that he would seal this message however he would like. Father and Jesus, thank you so much for what you have done, the sacrifices. You stopped at nothing teach us the lessons of how it is to best live and lead on this earth. I know that all of us are going to be, at some point, leaders. At least we better be, because we better be getting up close to people who don't know you, who don't know about the incredible gift of what you've done for them. And would you give us the ability, the humility, the words to be able to lead them to you? when you do so in your son's name amen